You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us open our Bibles together. We turn this afternoon to a few different passages from Old and New Testament. First of all, we turn to Exodus 25, the verses 31 to 40. There the word of our God reads as follows, Make a lampstand of pure gold and hammer it out, base and shaft. Its flower-like cups, buds and blossoms shall be of one piece with it. Six branches are to extend from the side of the lampstand, three on one side and three on the other. Three cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms are to be on one branch, three on the next branch. The same for all six branches extending from the lampstand. And on the lampstand there are to be four cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms. One bud shall be under the first pair of branches extending from the lampstand, a second bud under the second pair, a third bud under the third pair, six branches in all. The buds and branches shall all be of one piece with the lampstand hammered out of pure gold. Then make it seven lamps and set them up on it so that they light the space in front of it. Its wick trimmers and trays are to be of pure gold. The talons of pure gold is to be used for the lampstand and all these accessories. See that you make them according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Then let's turn to the New Testament to Ephesians chapter 5, 8 to 14. And there the Apostle Paul writes... For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible For it is light that makes everything visible. And this is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And then we turn to Revelation 2, 1 to 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And then finally, we turn to our text, Numbers chapter 8, as we continue our series on the book of Numbers. And we'll concentrate this afternoon on the verses 1 to 4. The Lord said to Moses, 
speak to Aaron and say to him, when you set up the seven lamps, they are to light the area in front of the lampstand. Aaron did so. He set up the lamps so that they faced toward or forward on the lampstand, just as the Lord commanded Moses. This is how the lampstand was made. It was made of hammered gold from its base to its blossoms. The lampstand was made exactly like the pattern the Lord had shown Moses. Well, the congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, sometimes when a pastor sits in his study preparing a sermon, strange things happen. Take last week as an example. Here I was reading and reflecting on Numbers chapter 8, the verses 1 to 4, and suddenly out of nowhere, a song started ringing in my ears. It was a song that I had learned as a boy, It's a song that many of the children here this afternoon will know as well. It's called, This Little Light of Mine. And it goes, This little light of mine, I'm going to make it shine. And I think you know the rest. Now, of course, that aroused my curiosity, and I decided to dig deeper. And when I did so, what did I find? I discovered that what I had always assumed was a children's song was, in reality, a Negro spiritual. It was composed during a turbulent time in American history when blacks were struggling to be treated as equals. And it was meant to keep their spirits up. It was sung to boost their confidence as well as their determination. In other words, no matter what people do to me, my light is going to keep on shining. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I'm going to let it shine. I'm going to let it shine. Of course, you wonder what does all that have to do with our text, right? Well, as you read it, you can perhaps see why this particular song suddenly popped in my head. For it too is about Light. It's about seven lamps, a lampstand, a lampstand of hammered gold and about a base covered with blossoms. In short, there's a lot of light there. But then you ask, of course, too, what does it mean? And what connection, if any, is there between a civil rights song of long ago and a lampstand? And furthermore, what's the point of all of this for us Christians today? We have no tabernacle, we have no sacrifices. Why should we bother to pay any attention at all to an ancient lampstand? Good questions. Well, let's also look together for some answers. I preached to you on the following theme. The Lord lights up his sanctuary and his people. Well, beloved, let's first of all put the words of our text in their proper context. You might say here in Numbers 8, everything is is ready. The tabernacle has been built according to the design that God gave to Moses. All the furnishings, all the exterior parts, everything it seems has been completed. And in addition, the duties of who is to serve in it and who is to carry it, take it down, put it up, 
have all been assigned. And also, as we saw last Sunday afternoon, sacrificial material for this tabernacle had been given and donated by each of the tribes. And one more thing. A great and stupendous thing, an unimaginable thing had happened, namely the Lord God of heaven and earth had taken up residence in this tabernacle. He now dwelled in covenant among his people. Yes, and to verify this, we are told that when Moses entered the tent of meeting, God spoke to him in that place. In short, God is in his holy dwelling. So everything's ready. Has everything then been finished? Are all of the preparations now over? No, one more thing. One more thing needs to be done. A final act has to take place, and then the sanctuary will be ready for use. Well, what still needs to happen, beloved? Well, there are lamps that need to be lit. Read the verses 1 and 2 of our text. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to Aaron, say to him, When you set up the seven lamps, they are to light the area in front of the lampstand. Now, of course, it's possible after reading this that some of you are inclined to say, Well, so what? Big deal. There's not much significance in all of this. It's a, it's a purely practical matter that, that Moses is telling us about here. After all, you know, it's dark in there. That holy place is shrouded in thick, heavy curtains. No light can penetrate. It's black as night. And the priests need to see what they're doing. And how can they go about their duties if they have no light? And so we ask ourselves, is this a purely practical matter? Should we just take these particular words of Numbers 8 for information and leave it at that? Well, beloved, if we did, we would be missing a lot. For really, if light is all that is needed, it would have been a simple thing for Aaron to find a few lamps or to set up a few torches. And then it would not have been necessary for God to say anything at all. And then why would he bother to tell Moses to tell Aaron to do the obvious? And why would he bother to give Moses very precise instructions about this lamp? And besides, if all of that is needed is some light, why bother with a lampstand? A seven-lamp lampstand at that, and a golden lampstand. In actual fact, beloved, there is no escaping the impression that something more is going on here. And there is, for this is no ordinary lampstand. In the first place, it's made of pure gold. In other words, it's made of the most precious material known to man at that time. And not a little gold either. Altogether, it weighs around 66 pounds. Now do the math. 66 
pounds equals 1,056 ounces. Gold is, as of last week, I checked it, $769 an ounce. Total value in today's dollars, $812,000. And you thought our new organ was expensive. Here, one lampstand is worth more than three quarters of a million dollars. All in all, then, this is pricey and precious. And you'll understand it's pricey because our God is precious. In the second place, beloved, it's also unique. For you can tell from reading Exodus 25, it consists of a main stem and three branches sprouting from each side for a total of seven lights at the top. It's called a menorah. I think some of you have probably a cheap replica of that in in your homes. A seven-light lampstand. But why seven? Why seven lights on one lampstand? Well, you can say it's to symbolize God. Light always symbolizes the presence of God. And as for seven, it symbolizes his completeness. I dare say, of all the numbers in the Bible, seven is the most important. Because you see, it's a combination of three, the number of God, plus four, the number of creation. Three plus four stands for God and His complete work in this world. That's why a week is made up of seven days. That's why sacrificial blood has to be sprinkled seven times on the altar. That's why John's gospel consists of seven signs. That's why the lamb has seven horns and seven eyes. It's the idea of completeness. But then, beloved, there's also something else about this lampstand that we shouldn't overlook, and we often do. Because you see, there's something else different about it. It's not just the gold and the seven arms, but it's also about those additional decorations that are on it. And what are they? Exodus 25 says, There are four cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms. And number six says that it was all made of hammered gold from its base to its blossoms. Now what does that mean? Well, for one, it means this wasn't just your simple gold lampstand. It was not even a <clears throat> simple seven-armed lampstand. No, it was decorated, it was embellished, it was very picturesque. And so when you looked at it, what did you see? When you looked at this lampstand, what did you actually see? You saw a tree. Coincidence? No, nothing in this pattern of God is ever coincidence. This too is symbolic. 
But symbolic of what? Well, think again. What does a tree represent in the Bible? Does a tree not represent life? Vigorous, believing life? Think of Psalm 1. The blessed man is like a tree planted by streams of water. And also think of those trees mentioned at the beginning and the end of the Bible. At the beginning there is the tree of life. And at the end there is water flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And spanning that water, that river, is a tree called the tree of life. So what do we have here in this lampstand? We have a symbol of God. We have a symbol of our most precious light-emitting and life-giving God. We have here a sign and a token that God is living, active, and present among His people. But there's more. There's also another factor to take into account. Leviticus 24 says that the lamps on this lampstand are to be kept burning continuously. Verse 4 states, The lamps on the pure gold lampstand before the Lord must be tended continually. Sure, this lampstand is never to go out. It has to burn day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And why? To act as a constant reminder to the people of Israel that life comes from the Lord and the Lord alone. Yes, and that, beloved, is further stressed and emphasized by something else. But going back to our text again, it says in verse 1 that when you set up the seven lamps, they are to light the area in front of the lampstand. What that means is that the light from this lampstand is to shine in a certain direction. And again, we ask, why that? Why should this lampstand not be placed just anywhere in the holy place? Why can the priest not simply take it and put it here or put it there, depending on where they're working and where it seems to shine the best? Well, they're not allowed to do that, beloved, because God has a certain purpose in mind. He wants the light to shine in a certain way. And which way? Well, in such a way that it shines forward and falls on the table. The table of the showbread. And why this table? Because on that table there are twelve loaves. Twelve loaves representing the offerings of the twelve tribes of Israel. In other words, by the light shining forward in this way, God is teaching the Israelites that all of life and every blessing comes from Him. 
It's He who gives life to its people. It's He who blesses their labors. It's He who blesses the crops in the field. It's He who accepts their offerings. It's He who sustains and cares and provides for them. Both light and life come from God. And doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't that remind you of something else or better of someone else? Turn to John chapter 1, read verse 4. What does it say? In Him, in Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of men. And during His ministry, Christ proclaims, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Today, Jesus Christ represents the light of God's favor shining on this world. And the lampstand that burns so brightly and constantly in the tabernacle points to Him. And it also does more. For one thing, in and through Christ, it shines ever brighter and brighter. You know, that lampstand in the tabernacle shone forward and illuminated those twelve loaves, but really not much else. The light was directed in those days at Israel. And so it remained for some time. All through the Old Testament, only the Israelites were really under the light, so to say. Of course, a few others joined them, a Rus, a Rahab, perhaps some Ninevites and maybe some Babylonians. But for the most part, it was pretty much restricted, limited light. But then Jesus Christ comes, and what do we see? we see that He brings light everywhere. In Him the words of Isaiah 49, 6, find their fulfillment. I will make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Christ comes and He is the light for the Gentiles. He's the light of the world. In Him and through Him, people everywhere may walk in the light and find their life in the light. In Him, the invitation goes out to all people, come, walk in the light, and so have life, and be blessed forevermore. And yet in spite of the fact, beloved, that such a great light has come into the world, there are so many who still prefer the darkness. Some people are like like animals, you know. And that's meant not so much as an insult, but as an observation. In our backyard we have a pond. And in that pond there is a fountain and during the summer it happened almost repeatedly every morning that we would go out and the fountain would be knocked over. 
Who did it? My grandkids, some delinquent teenagers in the neighborhood. No, a tribe of raccoons. Almost every night they were out exploring and creating havoc. However, during the day you never ever saw them. They loved the darkness. And some people are like that. They love the darkness. In John 3, 19 and 20, our Savior speaks some ominous words. He says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. You might say, by nature, we all love the darkness because the world of fallen man is the world of darkness. But thanks be to God. He did not leave Israel in the darkness. Neither did he leave his church, the new Israel of God, in the darkness. And neither, I might add, does he leave Lauren Helena Rook as his covenant child in the darkness. But Christ comes to the Israel of old with his light, with his lampstand light. And he comes to his New Testament world with an even greater light, the light of his Son. And it's by this light that he calls us. Peter says, but you are a chosen race, a people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Out of the darkness into the light. Through his Son, beloved, God calls us out of the darkness. And through his grace and by the power of his Spirit, he turns you into light. Because Jesus says to his disciples, and now you are the light of the world. We are light. All who are connected to the great light giver Jesus Christ by faith are light. Our lives have been and are being transformed. Our thoughts are different, our deeds are different, our words are different, our lives are different. We are children of light. Last week, Sunday, there was a young man from Manitoba in our worship service. His name was Colin Lauder. He'd come to pick up his sister and her stuff and bring it back to Manitoba. And on the way home, be it either Monday night late or be it early Tuesday morning, 
They were involved in an accident. And you may have read it in church news. She escaped with some minor bruises. But Colin lost his life. And now his family and his friends, also here in this congregation, mourn his passing. There's a lot of sadness that a young man of 21 years of age who has his whole life in front of him is dead. What a tragedy. What a grief. And yet, you know, in the midst of all of that, there is great comfort too. A comfort that sustains his family and so many more, and that is the knowledge that this young man knew the light. And he walked in the light. Jesus Christ was the light of his life. And this same Jesus also and always is the resurrection and the life of his people. Colin Lauder's life is short. But thanks to Jesus Christ, his life in glory will be from everlasting to everlasting. He too is a child, is a child of the light. And that's our privilege. An awesome privilege, if you think of it. But you know, in Scripture, with privileges always come calling and responsibility. Christ has made us different. And that means we must live differently too. Paul puts it in this way, for you were once darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Have nothing to do with the fruitless works of darkness. But rather, expose them. You might say that individually and corporately we have a calling today. We have a calling to be something and we have a calling to do something. We have a calling to be the children of light and we have a calling to expose the darkness. And so let me ask you as a church, community, are we aware of our responsibility to expose the darkness? Are we having an impact in our community? Are we functioning as life givers? All too often it would seem the world doesn't even know that we exist. We make no noise. We utter no protest. We're silent. And you know, that's something that needs changing. Might I suggest that we give some added thought to the community in which we live, to its needs, its burdens, its sufferings, and also its evils? And show how we can best combat that? Political action, social action, economic action is needed, and it should come from the light dwellers. 
and not the darkness lovers. Truly we have a communal calling. It's a calling that needs much more attention from us if we are to live up to our names as the children of light. And individually as well, beloved, we have a calling in our personal lives to be light reflectors. Paul writes, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. There's also our days are evil. They're not just rainy, they're evil. And also we need to make the most of every opportunity. We need to be wise, which means to be light. To live each of us as a child of the light. And to reject the darkness. And that's something we can do. It's something this child can do. But we cannot do it in our own strengths. For all of this, we need to be plugged in. To be constantly plugged into Jesus Christ. The light of the world. And we need to pray that God will make His light shine in our hearts. To give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. By believing in Him, you will be light. By loving Him, you will have life. By obeying Him, the lampstand will remain. That old Negro spiritual still has something to us to say as individual believers and as a body of believers. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of ours, we're going to let it shine. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.